I thought we'd take a little break from from Exodus uh, for a while. I'm going to be out of town the next two weeks, and um, and then we're going to start a, a little mini series on um, how to grow. What you know? What does sanctification look like? What do we do with that? But in our in our journey in Exodus, we're right up at the foot of the mountain, and what happens next is um, the law, and we're going to be in the law a long time, and and being in the law of God, um, in the Old Testament portion of it, can be uh, heavy, and it's supposed to be. That's the point of it: is to um, be a tutor for us to drive us to the cross, to drive us to Christ. But sometimes what can happen is that we are um, uh, studying through and, and, and learning about the, the way that, that God reveals himself through the law. We start to feel the weight of that. I'm not, I'll never do this. I'll never be able to, 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 to fulfill this. And you're right. Um, so, while all of the law speaks of Christ, it gets heavy on the heart, and, 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 and so we're left with this, how do I know that I'm in Christ when I still disobey the law? Right? Do we, does anybody here, does this just me? Does anybody struggle with that at all? How do I know I'm saved? How do you? No, just real quick. How, start flying. Um, how do you know? First Thessalonians says that when the word of God comes in power uh-huh. and abides, then you know you're saved. Okay, so what does that mean? It means it um, comes in power means it affects change in your life. And you're changed, you're new and different because of the word. And it remains, abide means stays, remains. So there's a, um, there's a, a subjective... We, we see fruit, right? <clears throat> okay. If you love me, you obey my commands. And you love one another. And you love one another. So that's, a, that's that, again, that's outward. Mm-hmm. We see this, we, 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 do the, we do what Paul says, and we're really good about examining our hearts to see if we're in the faith. And we sit there and we're looking, we're looking, we're seeing if we can find anything there that's good, that's in me. Somebody says something, we won't find it though. I can't see Romans 7. In me there dwells no good thing that is in my flesh. So we spend all of our time navel gazing. Do you find any, any thing to base to be confident that you're in Christ by looking there alone? Do, seriously, I mean, if you sat around and stared at your navel and looked at, do I have Christ in my heart? Do I see fruit? Do I do this? Isn't there always a way to doubt that? Like this morning on the way to church at 9 o'clock. I'm doubting my salvation. <laughs> a Christian wouldn't yell like that at his family. Right? Sure. This is not the only test. Right? There are others. What's, what's, what are the others? The fact that you feel conviction. Okay. It still falls under this, right? Before you, before you start talking about a result of something, you have to talk about the foundation of it. Which is? The object of Christ. 
objective. Okay, ouch. Objective. Which is, what did you say again? I'm sorry. That would be Christ. So Jesus being the perfect answer in Sunday school, once again, we're here. And how do we know anything about that? How do we know anything about the objective basis on which to rely? Somewhere? It's a napkin. And and the Bible, okay, so the objective is the Word of God. Not the fact that the Word exists, but the (laughs) fact... I don't want to go pink. Uh, Not that the fact that the Word exists, that's not our assurance, but it's who the Word points to, which is Jesus, right? And the fact-based objective or object of It's outside of me that I trust. It's Jesus. What He's done. What He's completed. Faintly, almost as if in a whisper, an orange whisper... There it is. This is really bad. I need some more markers. Okay. Is there anything else? What? What, what? what would it be? Well, the, the earth is abiding. First Thessalonians says, if it abide, if if the word comes in power mm-hmm. and abides, remains with you. Because there's, you know, there's the parable of the uh, the growth. They they change quickly and they grow up, but then they fade away. Paul talks about finishing the race. Okay. It's always about. Um, fighting the good fight, sure. and continuing on, and sure. fighting for perseverance the is there. Perseverance. How do we determine perseverance, though? I, I, I still think that would fall under subjective. Church attendance, Church attendance does that. Yes, good Baptist. Yes, yes, ma'am. Tithing. <laughs> Tithing. <laughs> Only ten percent. I may not be understanding what you mean by subjective and objective, but subjective I think of as like a, what what I say, what I think, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas objective can be measured, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like that. Free, if you mean like fruit of the spirit, can be objective in in the sense of self-evaluating and praying through God, show me where I need to okay. work, and sometimes also being encouraged that I'm not patient, mm-hmm. but maybe I can see how God has made me more patient mm-hmm. than I used to be, mm-hmm. or does that make any sense mm-hmm. that you see the spirit working in you and producing fruit? Sure, I, I'm not, and, I'm not, and, and that we see that in each other and we encourage okay. each other. Okay. So, so this is probably a better community-based. Maybe <laughs> test. so, because if we're only self-evaluating, we're probably not going to get so right. So, subjectively, my children always thought they were better than what they really were. Well, and so they were doing some self-evaluation, but I was not in agreement. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and I think we, uh, that's what I was thinking. We usually go either, either too easy Dang. on ourselves or too hard on ourselves. Yeah. So here's the deal. Who determines what fruit is good? The Lord. The Lord. <laughs> what? So if I'm in a group, and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the standard for fruit is, you know, I understand an Aryan when I see them. Arianism. I know I can spot a heretic a mile away, and and I've read I read I read through the Bible every year religiously, and 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 I understand the dangers of Arminianism and the and the error that it leads to, and I understand the 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 uses of the three uses of the law and the Protestant Reformation. We talk about it. We talk about it. We talk about it, and that's all good within our circle. And that shows, man, they are saved. Look how much they know. No. Well, the but that's this. That that's a group. 
The other group is, let's say, we don't drink, we don't dance, we don't chew, we don't dance with girls that do, right? Drink, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't... I messed that up, didn't I? Anyways, no, I actually had it right the first time. I did? All right. So, so that's, that's the fruit that we're looking at. We're looking at moral um, barriers in which, to, in which to operate. We watch the right movies. We watch the right TV shows, if we watch at all, because, you know... And then, and then, and then we, they, we, we don't listen to certain types of music because, you know, just the, the, just the genre itself just screams paganism. So we, don't, we stay away from that. Um, we, we have all this great fruit of a conformed life to the group. Is that the basis that we got? Well, what subjective means there is that it, it's, its base is a subject, which is Christ. And that's the ultimate, like, there's nothing... Christ isn't based on anything other than himself. Okay. You get the, the next step is uh, the fruit, which is um, it's connected to the object through faith. Um, so faith is, it spurs from Christ, and it works itself out in the subjective fruit. So what's the, what, what problem are we trying to, to address here? There are four types of people in the world, right? Four types of people in, in relates to faith. Four types of people in the world. One is, uh, one is they have they have saving faith, right, and they know it. Okay, good place to be. Saving faith, and I know it. Okay, the other one is they don't have any faith, and they know it. Right. Make no pretense of being a Christian. No faith. Well, faith in, in Christ. Okay, how about, how about this? How about this? Dead faith. We'll do that, all right? Because any faith apart from Christ is Everybody dead faith. Granted. Granted, for the sake of terms, we'll say dead faith to, to deal with that issue. All right. Dead faith and know it. Okay? Then there are two others. There's saving faith. They really trust Jesus. But they're plagued by fear of, maybe I don't trust him enough. Maybe I don't know that I know that I know that I know. But isn't that just immaturity? Is it? Sure. I think that's uh -oh. what it is. Uh, <laughs> saving faith. Don't know it. Okay? Or not confident in it. Is that... And then the last one is the most dangerous, I think. Dead faith and don't know it. Right? Isn't that what we're really worried about? Not necessarily. It could be people like Islam. I mean, people, that, people that come, that, 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 are, that are good at attendance, that, that, um, that tithe, the mint, the till, the, the, the dill, the whatever, the, the whole thing that the Pharisees did, that they, they, everything I have, I give a tenth of, no more, no less, I, it's a tenth of that, and I'm, I'm really good, I get my receipt at the end of the year, I turn into the IRS, it's all okay. This is the one that, that, that we're scared of. Granted, I say scared of. You may not be, I am. Right? I think, I think, I mean, I teach Sunday school, right? I prepare every week, I read the Bible, I do the thing. If anybody 
except for Philip, and then he didn't have these talents. So I have all this stuff. I do all these things. What if I'm fooling myself? Does, does, does that keep you up at night, 4 in the morning? Does that keep you up? What do you do with that? Um, here's some verses that used to keep me up at 4 in the morning when I was younger. Uh, Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now later on I came to understand that as being more of a community kind of thing. But when you're 15, that will freak you out. Uh, John 15.6. If anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't like fire. And if I'm not abiding in Christ, I'm thrown away and burned. Is that what that says? Is that what that means? Is that what that's talking about? Well, there's some interpretations that may mean that it's more of a community, ethnicity, nationality kind of thing. But that sure is freaky to read that. Here's one that's a little more personal. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a good person. They do all the right stuff. And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What in the world does that mean? And can I have any confidence in Christ? Reading a verse like that, reading passages like that. They've tasted everything. They've got it all together. And it says, they've fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again. What does that mean? And how can that not keep me up till 4 o'clock in the morning? What do you do with that? How do, is there any comfort? Is there any calming effect? Is there any security that we have in Christ when we read stuff like that? Yes. Bible, what? The Bible also says he's the author and venture of our faith. Okay. We get it from the Word. Right? Where, where are we left? Where we're left. Where we should always be. Devoid of any confidence in of ourselves. And trusting what he said. There's the objective word. The, the first source I find... For, for confidence that I'm in Christ is what he says. You trust the truth of the Bible and that points us to, the faith, to faith in the finished work of Jesus, not me staring at my navel looking for fruit. The first primary source is what has he said and who's he talking about. He's talking about Christ, what he's done. It's not, but, it's not based upon what, what we feel some have rightly said, it's not based on what we feel, but what he felt, right? What he has done. Um, Hebrews 6, I love the fact that the chapter continues. And in verse 17 it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, his character does not change, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. W what does that mean? What? Um, God works through covenants and he made a covenant with himself. 
much, there's no more sure thing than God when he makes a covenant with himself to carry it out. It, I mean, there's no changes. If God is true and does not lie, I can trust what he says. Not based on me, not based on my feeling, not based on my actions, not based on uh, the ups and downs I have in trying to live what I, what I gather from the word I should be living, how I should be living, but based on who he is. God who cannot lie. He can't swear by anything higher than his own character, his own name. And he did that in relation to our salvation. The word of God is objective. And how did he do that? Um, well... The first objective ground for our assurance of salvation is in his word. Acts 16, 30-31, where the apostles respond to, uh, to, uh, to the men who said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and all your household. We can talk about um, election. We can talk about sovereignty of God. We can talk about irresistible grace when it comes down to it. How do you know you're saved? Because it says if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. Some would argue that's easy believism. Uh, I would point you to the idea that that's only believism. <laughs> it's only in Christ. <laughs> it's only in Christ. Um, the apostle who wrote Romans 9, the one we celebrate, you know, also wrote Romans 10. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Navel-gazing, am I one of the elect, is not helpful. What's helpful is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you calling on the name of the Lord? The finished work of Jesus. That's what we trust. Well, I mean, we can discuss why a person may call, but, but, but that's you know, a different issue. The issue is, are you calling? Are they calling? There's a promise in the calling, that trusting plea for him, you will be saved if you call on the name of the Lord, if you trust him. All right, the subjective. There's the fruit. And I'm not against this. I think this is a helpful thing. I just don't think it's the only thing. We need to be looking and seeing our, our lives conforming to the image of Jesus. That's a good thing. The testing of the fruits of that calling on the name of the Lord is a, set, is the second, is a second test. Have we truly trusted in Christ alone? There's, the, the reformer said, we don't, we're not saved by faith in Christ alone. We are saved by faith in Christ alone, but not by faith that is alone. Let me correct that again. We are saved by faith in Christ alone, but not by faith that is alone. It has to be. Accompanied by fruit. Second Peter uh, 1, 3 through 11. Turn there, if you will. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Again, the word, right? 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what in the world does that mean? That sounds a little Mormon to me. Partakers of the divine nature? Conform to the image of Christ. Conform to the image of Christ. That's the divine nature. In what way? What does that look like? Fruit of the Spirit. Well, I'm thinking partakers of the divine nature meaning we're justified through Christ's work, uh, redeemed to God through the divine nature of Christ. Okay, so again, focus on Jesus, His divine nature imputed to us, through which we what? We're changed. There is a change. There's a new nature that has new desires. New goals, new motives that look closer to Jesus than we've ever been. How do we know which ones look closer to Jesus? And, okay, how do we know which ones look closer to Jesus? This can get tricky, right? We can get in trouble here. And, and it's what I laid out before. By what standard do we judge our fruit? Do we judge ourselves? Does, do we have leaders judge us? Do, do, we, do, we, um, do we sit around and, 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 and some look to like a zealous spirit? Oh, he's really fervent. He's, he's got to be growing. Others look to a, a, a content of knowledge. Oh, he really understands the Nicene Creed. You know. the, he's more of a London Baptist confession of faith guy, not really Westminster, so he's probably closer to the truth there. And, Second London, that's right. 16, if he's 1689, we got it going on. So, um, so those are the standards that we have. Some, some say that some, some things of charity, actions of charity, may be uh, good, while others would see those same actions as being compromised. You know. What standard? What are the essentials here? In what way? Um, Laura, what'd you say? You Starts with knowledge of the scripture. You have discernment based upon knowledge of the scripture. I'm repeating because your voice is. I'm sorry. It's okay. It shouldn't be like he tells us to cease striving. So I feel like if you know, you're truly a believer and you're maturing, it becomes more of what you do. It's your more natural thing to do mm -hmm. than to go hold to the book to pray. Okay. Does that make sense? Love. So, so, we, so you're that saying that our, that, our, that our neutral is different. Yeah. Our hearts beat at a different pace than they did before before uh, Christ. A heart of flesh versus a heart of stone is what you said. What does that look like? I need, I need a list. What is it? What, what are, are we given a list of what we should be conforming to? Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Now, using the list right here, you start off with faith, and then you, you add to your faith virtue. And to the virtue, you grow in knowledge. And growing in knowledge, you learn self-control. As you practice self-control, you learn steadfastness. As you learn to steadfastness, you walk in godliness. Godliness finally leads you to brotherly affection. And brotherly affection finally leads you to love. So the ultimate goal is... That nice, warm, fuzzy feeling you have called love. There's nothing fuzzy or warm about. <laughs> <laughs> I died. <That's> cool. 
Um, I think a good, uh, uh, I think the scripture does tell us that um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, that's not what we're striving for, though, the fruit of the Spirit, because that's just a spiritual trouble for the Spirit, and we see it through the fruit. So you're not striving for We're striving for the Spirit. What does that mean? For Christ. Okay. question being asked but is this how is the road of how to get there right well in Christ for example so we read about him and how he interacted with people so his main goal was to glorify God and to obey him so you're, you're saying that the fruit that we look for is not a list I gotta have a list I'm a list guy I live by lists it's a list with no law a list with no law Is it now? Yes. First John five two has been brought up, and what does it say? By this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Say that again. This is the love of who? The love of God? It's the love of God that we keep our commandments? Wouldn't that be the love of you, oh awesome Christian, that you keep his commandments? If you're in Christ, if you've called on him and believed in him, you're transformed. Right? And you should see some fruit. You should see some more Christ-like nature stuff going on there. Not based on what the group says, if it's skewed from the word. I mean, sometimes it's helpful. We want community. We want to have those kind of uh, accountability things. But is it consistent with what you're seeing in Jesus and what he's doing in the word? Do I look more like him? Right? And it says fruit of the spirit, not fruit of the Christian. Fruit of the spirit, not fruit of the Christian. Very good. And I, I think for me, a big test of whether I'm seeing true love, true patience, true kindness, is, is this something that I can muster up and do in my own strength? Mm. And, you know, sometimes when you read stories about people like Fortune Boone, who, you know... a Nazi that, soldier, that kind of stuff? Yeah, Nazi not going to happen. a soldier who comes up and talks to her after she had been in the concentration camp, you know, and... Watched her family her die. And, ...and shakes his hand. Right. That's love. That's forgiveness. That's fruit of the spirit because there's that's no not way warm and you fuzzy. Can do that in your own strength. And I, I think that's a difference between. I mean, we had a Buddhist neighbor when I was growing up who was a very good person, a very nice lady, and 
you know, she was very <coughs> kind and very, very good mm -hmm. in her own strength. Everything she did was nice. Um, so I, I think sometimes we get, you know, we have to remember it's not about what we can do in our own strength because there are nice Buddhists and there are nice atheists. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Not that we shouldn't be nice. <laughs> right. I mean, Don't be a jerk to be an authentic <laughs> Christian. You don't want to do that. But, um, but I think if we're testing whether our motives and our actions are, are a result of just trying to be a good person mm -hmm. um, so that people will think we're good versus trying to trust God to give us that patience and that kindness and that, that love that only He can give. Right. Um, if I'm more concerned about what my leader will think or about what the group will think about something that I do rather than what God has revealed and what Christ has called me to do, there's a problem. That's not the right fruit. We do hold each other accountable. We do act as a restraint on things. But is it a right restraint? We need to be very careful about what standards we gravitate I want to get to the third thing where it's already 10 o'clock. Um, third thing. Even inspecting fruit can, can lead to a type of legalism. So the Bible shows us yet another test. Romans 8, five, uh, 15 through 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, most of us Reformed types foam at the mouth at this kind of issue. We, we don't like this. It's not word. It's not fruit. It's mystical. I don't know how else to get around it. It's in the Bible. i got to believe it. In some way... The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the son of God, sons of God and, and daughters, children of God. So, sorry, to make it more gender neutral. Children of God. We're so afraid of an emotional response to what God has done in us that we deny any possibility of any kind of direct ministry of the Holy Spirit to our hearts and souls. I, look, I believe we need to be going through the mind. I think the word affects how we think. It should affect how we think, and that is the engine of the whole thing, and the motions are the caboose. I get that, right? But without a caboose, you don't have a complete train. <laughs> so we need to have warm hearts. Here's the problem we have. If I just have this, I can quote all kinds of passages, talk through all kinds of theology, and be an idiot. And have no transformative nature at all. I just got a lot of head knowledge. Do, do, we, do we grant this? Do we understand this? Even the demons believe in each other. Even the demons believe in Somebody posted that at 10 o'clock last night. Even the demons believe and shudder. I can do this. I've read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology and I, I remember a lot of it. If I just focus on this, 
Even a Buddhist is a good person by human standards. It can be not grounded in the personal work of Christ. It can be not grounded and rooted in Scripture. So if I just do this, or I just do this, I'm hosed. If I'm just emotional, and I'm looking for the next experience, I got no clue what the Bible says, and I certainly don't have any transformative you know, work in my heart going on. But boy, I sure do like that glory cloud rolling in a worship service. Right? I sure do like the singing in tongues at the end of the thing where we're all kind of chimed together in this babbling nonsense. That's an experience, isn't it? Woo-hoo. And yet, isn't this, all three, more of a well-rounded assurance? Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been, somebody rightly divided Christianity into a, uh, into, into three three types. Um, there, there's the um, there there's the there's the doers. Okay, the list type. You know, typical Armenian kind of stuff. You know. Then you've got the thinkers sitting around navel gazing, sitting around thinking about doctrine. Sitting around just trying to figure out all the ins and outs of super and, and, and infralapsarianism. Right? And then you got the feelers. The woohoo crowd. And any assurance that is grounded and rooted in just one of these is error. It's error. Yesterday was our anniversary. anniversary. Thank you. You should congratulate Tammy more than more than me. Um, that is, if you want a standard by which to gauge your fruit, there she is. Um, I will tell you that if you ask me to prove that I'm married, I have three ways of doing it. Uh, we have a document at home, government issued. It's on really good paper, and it's called a marriage license. It's a certificate. And if I just went around and waved the certificate to you, I'm married. Woohoo! look at me, I'm married. I'm married. Here's my certificate. And that's all I had. Where's your wife? Oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> Boy, you sure are cold to nobody. You really don't have any, you know. Oh, don't worry about that. Here's my certificate. I'm married. What's the problem with that? It could be forged. I could have a false, objective statement saying I'm married. I got no fruit, and I got no feeling. You see where this is going. Or I could say, ah, there's a certificate out there somewhere, I'm sure. I don't really know what it says, I don't care. But look at this woman and our children. Isn't that wonderful? Well, if you did some research at the county courthouse and found no certificate ever, you might come to a conclusion that this woman and my children are probably not a marriage. We haven't gone through the proper ceremonies. We haven't done the thing. We, we don't have an objective statement saying we're married. We're just kind of living in sin and having a good time with it. Right? Or, how do you know you're married? Oh, <laughs> I just know. <laughs> well, who is she? Oh, I know her. I know her. <sighs> right? No 
wife, no certificate, but oh, man, I'm married. So you got goofy grand evidence. You've got fruit evidence of wife and kids and people, uh, or woman and kids and people, and you have a certificate. If you have all three, what do you have? That's a basis for a pretty decent marriage. You've got the objective granting of the state saying it's okay, uh, which is always, you know, what we strive for these days. And then you have the, uh, the, the fruit of it. You actually have somebody to produce saying, yeah, by the way, this is my wife. And you have, um, this is my wife. You don't have that. You have an actual relationship with the person that you love and you cherish and you see that. Does that make sense? There's a mystical element to this, a settling in the heart that cannot be put in terms of the logical syllogism. But at the same time, you can't just leave it at the mystical. A lot of times in high school, I just, oh, yeah, we're together. Yeah, no, she, who, who's he again? That's, anyway. Anyone by itself has problems. And if I'm sitting around going, oh, I know I'm just married, that should probably be locked up. I mean, that's a problem. Um, all right. All of these evidences must be grounded in the person and work of Jesus. All of them. Why do I know the word is true? Well, what does First Peter say? He swore by something greater than everything else, himself, his character. How do I know that I can trust his character? Well, I know his word, right? How, how, well, the fruit that I see, any fruit that I have has to be measured by the standard of Jesus, by knowing him through his word. Any emotion that I have, that spirit wrought, being confirmed by his spirit in me, it has to be based upon the person and work of Christ. We, we, we learn the truth of Scripture, we, um, we fight for holiness, and we have warm hearts toward the gospel, toward Christ, toward each other, flowing from that. Can I say to yeah. the subjective and the mystical <coughs> will never contradict the objective? That was the next place I was going. Yes, exactly right. If the Spirit is working in you, He's not going to work against what He's revealed in His objective work. So that's another reason why you have to have all three. The objective sets the boundaries, the subjective shows the growth, and the mystical um, just gives you warm heart. Can yes? I um, point out too that I, I see the Trinity, obviously there's three, but the Father is the objective. He's mm -hmm. the plan. He's the thinker. The Son is the subjective with the fruit. He's the proof. He's the one that came, that everybody looks to, that sees, and that we're compared to in the fruit. Mm -hmm. And the spirit is the mystical, the feeling, the application, the end result. Okay, sure. I mean, I'm always looking for a Trinitarian reference, so that's always good. So <laughs> that's fine. Does this make sense? Yes. Does this help? <coughs> or does it make it more confusing? Because if it makes it more confusing, I've failed utterly. So would you say that you can have a mystical feeling about a good subjective fruit? That's not clearly objective. It's not clearly objective. Like based on, yeah. you can't tell that that's actually something that's objective, but it's, you feel good about it, and it seems like a good, good thing. Give me an example. I, I'm not good with hypotheticals. I don't know if that's a good idea, but. Say maybe maybe like a like a relationship with a person. 
and you're like, well, I don't really see, I don't really have a, a reason to believe that this is a, a good relationship, but I feel like, I mean, I feel good with this person, and it looks like we're uh, good together. Um, well, <clears throat> if we're talking about whether or not you're married, um, He's talking about dating somebody. I, I, that, that may be another topic. No, not really. That, that was a bad example. Okay. I, but I, no, actually, it's a good analogy because that's how you look at people. Yeah. Not, not like guy and girl, but just, I mean, relationships are just yeah. things that I find interesting. It's like they're complex. They are complex. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where you're going. And, and, and uh, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm probably not working on all four cylinders. Well, I think our relationship should follow that, though, because mm -hmm. they should be based on an objective truth of how God lays out for us to treat each other okay. as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that should be displayed in our actual actions and motives toward each other mm -hmm. and and how we feel toward each other. Okay. That, that there's not a disconnect anywhere there yeah. Yeah. as far as what he's laid out for us how we're acting and it's backed up by our actual motives of our heart. To be in a relationship, sometimes people make you better, but man, there's a lot of times someone makes you worse. That's true. And and that goes that that's cyclical sometimes. I was I was thinking more uh, along the lines of Christian liberty, how okay. um, the spirit guides us um, <coughs> through things that aren't I mean written out got the word of Jesus, but what about the other stuff, you know? Give me, give me an example. Well, give me an example of something that is not... Like taking a job. Okay. Well, I feel good about it. Um, I think it's going to be a good job, but I mean, I don't have like a solid base, like, okay, this is the job. Well, I think, I think your question is more toward discernment. Right. And, and the will of God. Right. And, and I think what we're dealing with, how do you know you're in Christ? Okay. So it's a different, it's a different category question. Okay. But I understand what you're saying. And the answer is there's not a there's not a right and wrong there's not a plan B for you. You step out in faith and if it doesn't work out, you change direction. I mean, what what is it doing to your heart is ultimately the question you ask in any of those situations. How is it changing me and my life to trust God more through my epic failure <coughs> getting on this roller coaster? So, or or my epic success. I mean, I don't want to be always negative. I'm a, I'm a negative person. I'm gonna say. I love soteriology, and I think I have a good grasp of how it works, but then, like, the next, like, how to live. How to live, which is, now. I'm glad you brought that up, because the next two weeks, Lord willing, the crick don't rise, uh, Dave Rowlett will be talking about um, sanctification and our priesthood as a believer and our vocation and work. He's going to spend a couple of weeks on that while I'm gone, which I am very grateful that he will be doing that. I think it will be good. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of wisdom in that area. Um, then when we get back, we're going to be talking about how you grow. What what are the what are the means of grace? How do we use them? But I think it's. But I wanted to first get this out because means of grace is not how you're saved. It's how you grow, and there's a difference. There's justification. How do I know I'm justified? How do I know I'm in Jesus? And then there is how do we grow? We don't want to confuse the two because that leads to all kinds of craziness, and we don't want to do that. So I wanted to do this first. Yeah, well, I mean, 4 o'clock in the morning. Anyway, so here we are with that. So, yes, it's time to go. Um, I will pray. Uh, all right, and then, and then we'll go. Bye, Chelsea.
See you later. Um, see you later, Grant. Enjoy. Glad you're playing. It's wonderful. Rock on. Okay. We pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the spirit working in us to, to grow um, Christ-like um, attitudes and nature in us. Thank you for the work of your spirit and confirming in our hearts that we are sons of God. Father, I pray that if, if there are areas in our lives, uh, if there's doubt in our heart, if there's some kind of struggle that we have where we're not seeing these things, where we're not seeing transforming work, when we don't um, trust your word or where we don't have a warm heart toward the gospel, God, I pray that you convict us and that you draw us once again to the cross because all answers resolve in the cross. Push us to trust Jesus. And if we're not in Christ, that's the answer. Go to the cross. If we are in Christ and have these doubts, that's the answer. Go to the cross. What have you done for us in Jesus? That's where we always need to go. And so I pray that you um, grant each of us the gift of assurance that you are ours and we are yours. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.